Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Megan Gilger, and welcome to the Fresh Exchange Podcast. Welcome, my friends. How are you today? We are doing our last episode about local eating this month, and it seems so appropriate as we're starting, actually, we're almost nearing the end of asparagus season already, and talking about these books. The If you haven't listened to the last three episodes, we've been talking specifically in our online community about Animal Vegetable Miracle by Barbara Kingsolver. And then We Are What We Eat from Alice Waters. These two books are extremely fascinating books that look at local seasonal eating and kind of shifting our mindset away from the fast food culture, so to speak. These are all ideas and things that are presented really well by both of these authors and incredible people in the food industry. And so in lieu of talking about them in our online community, I thought I would discuss some of these things from my own personal experience in our podcast this month. So I... I'm going to specifically be talking about the one thing that to me, outside of the meal planning thing, which we talked about last week, is the number one question or pushback I get because food is such is a necessary thing for all of our lives. And to be able to choose what we eat is a privilege. And I completely understand that. It I grew up in a household that struggled at one point to have food on the table. And I have also lived in a way where I can choose anything I want. So I've seen both sides of the story and I understand just how vital the cost and price and things like that can be and how 
incredibly heavy the cost can be as well. And I think right now, and we're seeing the cost of food be so high. And I don't even think we've seen the, you know, total, you know, hit, hit the limit at all, unfortunately. But as I talked about in the first episode about instead of this working from a place of scarcity, like a scarcity mindset, but instead thinking more infinitely, where we're thinking less self self-sufficiency is a very scarce scarcity fear model, I think. Um, that's my perception. Whereas a community sufficiency model of how we source our food is an infinite cycle and an infinite mentality about how we source food, how we eat. And a lot of times when we start thinking community sufficiency and we start thinking local, what we're thinking too is about this idea of that we may be without certain things, that maybe we can't source certain things. We can't, you know, whatever it may be. But I think that this is an opportunity to also relearn things, to shift routines, to try new things, to explore. I mean, we are not intended to, you know, we can adapt, we can change. And I think that it is an amazing thing to have a challenge because I've personally experienced that, you know, sometimes when we're without, we can adapt and learn new ways of doing something, new skills. And we have a tendency to rely on routines, rely on things that we aren't sometimes challenged, especially in the modern world. But our ancestors have done it for centuries. So why can't we also still do this? And what I've found is when I've done this, that I've opened my life to new foods, to new things. And I'm completely, I've fallen completely in love with certain things, certain vegetables, you know, all sorts of stuff. I have made new relationships because something changed. So I want to just first say that because it's kind of like rounding out what we've been talking about. But when we're talking about local eating, the one thing that can continually comes up, like the pushback I always get other than the, you know, I need to know, you know, I'm a busy person and I have a lot of, I, I don't have a lot of time. So I need food to be fast and easy. And I get that. We talked about that in the meal planning episode. Um, so anyways, I, I think the other thing outside of that is cost. So many people, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to put numbers to this because so many people say to me, local eating is really expensive. That is not something everybody can do. And I beg you to think differently because I will tell you that when I was younger and my parents were going through a tough time financially, we relied upon um, a food bank for a long time. And then we also, um, we had a lot of friends and farmers that my mom would get local food from. And granted, that was 25, almost 30 years ago. But now I feel like this is still true. You know, you, and I want to talk about that. I'm going to break down some things for you because I think we think convenience means cheaper, but it's not actually. And I want to just say um, this, there's a couple quotes I'm going to pull from Barbara King Solver's book because she fights this whole thing tooth and nail in her book on and on. And we're going to talk about cost, but not just cost 
well, we'll talk about the actual cost because I'm going to break down how I actually explore this idea because so many people were challenging me. They were saying, you are promoting something that's of privilege, that this is not accessible to everybody. You know, that's a nice thing to say as somebody of privilege, you know, and I get it, but I don't believe that that's true. I don't like, I know that I know that when we were living on so little, like during the recession, when we were just getting started in our careers, how we made it work from a financial standpoint in food was we bought a lot of dry goods in bulk and then we grew our own food or went to the farmer's market. And I can tell you that farmer's market food lasts infinitely longer. It has a higher percentage of nutrients in it. It has been there's so many things. There's so much biodiversity that our bodies need. There's an immense amount of offerings that come from when we eat local that go beyond cost. And the other thing is, is we also have to discuss cost on the environment. We no longer live in a time where we can think that we don't have some impact by what we buy. That ended 50 years ago. And we're just now really coming into seeing the outcome of not thinking about this. And we need to think about what is the oil consumption that it took, the traveling, the the cost on the planet that it took to get these, these foods right here in front of me on my plate. So I could argue as equally that we're doing immense harm by eating things from far away. And we have to think about that cost. We have to take it into account that when we spend, you know, uh, money on certain things that yes, it costs us money, but what was also the cost or low impact on the environment. So we're going to discuss that. But first I want to just start with this little quote from Barbara King Oliver, because she says, the main barrier standing between ourselves and a local food culture is not price, but attitude. The most difficult requirements are patience and a bit of restraint. And so I want you to hold that because I also would add to that, that it takes dedication. It takes some time. It takes a willingness to be curious and to observe and be willing to change habits. So that's a hard thing for a lot of people, but to kick into this to just talk about the cost. So when I was getting all this pushback from people, I I decided to just take one thing that every American family, we're just going to stick with America, United States, that we consume and, and consume quite a bit of Americans, for instance, they eat a lot of tomatoes and so I decide, and everybody loves tomatoes, most everyone, in some form, they enjoy tomatoes, whether it's ketchup, spaghetti sauce, or just fresh tomatoes. Tomatoes are everywhere and people love them. But tomatoes are a challenging thing to grow and they have a lot of pests. They have a lot of diseases. There's a lot going on with tomatoes. And that is why one of the reasons that it costs so much money to purchase tomatoes. So whether they're local or they're from afar. So I suggest to most people that if you have a garden, that if you're a little beyond beginner to start growing tomatoes, because the cost really does offer like the cost to grow and the benefit of the plant really does equal itself out. So I decided both 
to look into this one specifically because I love growing tomatoes. They're one of my favorite things to grow in the garden. I deeply enjoy them. They hold lots of memories for me, but I also, and I'm good at it. And so that was one thing. Plus the other thing was everyone eats them. So, and everybody universally understands the cost of them. So I decided to spend all like a winter adding up what we actually bought in terms of tomatoes uh, from the store. So I chose to buy one type of tomato. I did organic and I did them in cans. It felt like it was the, you know, cut the middle of the road. I didn't do glass jars, which I would have preferred, but those were like six to seven dollars for 32 ounces versus, you know, doing a can, which came out to about four and for organic. And I felt like that was a pretty average price. Like when I looked at major grocery stores, a co-op, everything, some, most cans of, you know, 32 ounces of, you know, whole or crushed tomatoes was about three to three fifty. They might be more expensive now. I don't, I stopped buying tomatoes <laughs> after I did this. So we'll just do the numbers here really quick. I'm going to actually pull up my calculator because I haven't done them from specifically in a while. So, but I have the numbers of what I realized we bought and that cost and everything. So I'm just going to do this. So we were spending $3.50 $3 for every 32 ounces that we were buying. So you know, 350 divided by 32. So that was like 10 cents. So roughly we could even round it up to 11, but we'll just keep simple numbers. So 10 cents per ounce. So I'm writing that down per ounce. And then we were buying basically, I think I have here, we bought 15 of those in a winter. So, you know, let me do the math right. I don't like doing public math. I'm dyslexic, so <laughs> keep me real here. So 32 ounces times 15 equals 480 ounces. So, but we will also, and the reason I'm doing the ounces is because that's how we're going to measure them in our freezer. So <laughs> that's why I'm doing it. It makes sense. And cause that's translatable one ounce equals, you know, one tomato. You kind of get the idea. So then, so that comes to, you know, 15 cans times 350, whoops, 15 times 350 equals $52.50. So that's how much we spent in just one season. That does not account for all the others that we spent throughout the summer or anything like that, which were probably quite expensive. So we're just going to narrow it in just for winter. So I'm going to go off of what I actually saved and how I did it. So in order to grow my tomatoes, one, I had 10 tomato starts and that was $3.50 per plant. So we spent $35 on plants. And I did this both with my garden one year and I did it with the farmer's market the next year. So, so we can see both. So it's $35 for 
you know, those, those 10 plants and those 10 plants did over a thousand ounces, which is more than double of what we were buying. And that I stopped counting at that point. It was so abundant. And obviously we were also eating some of them and it did so much food. And granted, like I'm not adding in the soil. So we could even toss in another $50 for soil. So we're at $85, which was the cost to get those plants and to grow them basically. <laughs> and the sunshine and the water, obviously. So, you know, maybe another $10 in electrical for the pumping the water up. But even that we have over a thousand ounces. So, you know, 85 divided by a thousand is 0.8. So we saved, you know, two cents <laughs> per ounce, which doesn't add up to a lot, but over time it does. And when you really think about it, it does. Okay. So now we're going to go to the farmer's market idea. So at the farmer's market, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but one of the things that you can do during the height of the seasons, every farmer has an abundance on, in crops. And, you know, I'm not even helping you consider like when you have a bumper crop as a gardener, you're looking for people to just give your food to. So bless our friends and neighbors who don't have as many, as much in their garden. They, we donated to a bunch of different places last year and to, and gave away to friends. Like we're talking like buckets of tomatoes and away that last year we had 40 plants, but I couldn't get rid of them fast enough. So a lot of my friends put away tomatoes for free because we just had an excess. And so that's one way as well. But at the farmer's market, many times farmers will have tomatoes and extra produce at the height of the season or right at the tail end of that season of that plant that they're just basically giving away. And so one of the things I do is like a couple of years, we had some issues. One year, Mike didn't put stuff in the freezer and it all went bad. <laughs> there was some things that have happened, but I started realizing, okay, I can go to the farmer's market and buy bushel, like a bushel, a huge amount. Like, I mean, we're talking like a huge basket of tomatoes that are slightly bruised. They're not perfect, but they make great tomatoes for saving. And and I don't do canning. Like I do this all in our freezer and got, you know, we're always running our freezer anyways. So we're playing with that energy, which 75% of our energy at our home is renewable. So it, a lot of it's solar and wind. So there's, we're not utilizing that harm on the planet, but needless to say, you can pay $25 or $20, depending on how good the season was and how much they need to get rid of these things. They are basically giving them away. When you think about that, $20 for a bushel of tomatoes will easily hit that 480 ounces. So think about that. So we're paying $25 over 480 ounces, five cents per ounce. That's half. That's half the price. Granted, you got to put your time in, you got to do that. But that's a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday evening that's raining. And let me tell you, friends, there is nothing more satisfying or anything more amazing than pulling out tomatoes from the summer. And they taste incredibly good. You know how they were grown. You know that things were used, done properly with the soil, with you know pesticides, with all of that. And that 
is what amazes me because and keeps me coming back to this idea is because now not only have I saved money, even minimal, but year after year that adds up. And if you just took one vegetable, I can almost promise you one that you eat in your home a lot. We'll just say lettuce, lettuce alone. Lettuce is one of the easiest things you can grow in your garden. It's also one of the cheapest things to get at the farmer's market. And you, and the amount of plastic that you would use getting it from the store versus that came from California and you live in the East coast, you know, it, the amount of oil and plastic that it involves and for you to get that is wild. And you're paying for that all along the way for it to get to you. Whereas you pay for a little bit of soil. Lettuce doesn't need a lot. It just needs nitrogen, a lot of good nitrogen to grow really well. And before you know it, you have salad after salad after salad, year, day after day after day. You almost can't eat enough lettuce because it's so easy to grow. And you can do it in a pot on your back porch. You can do it in a pot in your living room. Like this lettuce grows so easily. And that I should have done that one because it's so easy to access when you grow it or when you get it from local farms. So I just, I really beg to, (laughs) I, I don't accept, I guess, that it's cheaper to buy things, um, at the store when it comes to our vegetables and food like that. Granted, I am not the one who does everything. Like I, I don't, there are so many things that we do buy. I wish I could do it or access some of these things, but you know, we can't grow bananas and my kids love bananas, but I figure if there's things that I am doing and there's things that I can't do, then there's some balance in how I'm impacting the planet. I'm impacting my wallet. I'm, you know, doing all these things, but I also want people to understand that the reason these foods are so expensive is because they, there's so many Like, I guess what I'm trying to say, let me just go to this, is that we need to sit and question it a little bit. We don't need to just accept that, oh, this thing was on sale because there's other costs involved. There's other things that we need to take into account. And Barbara also says, it's interesting that penny pinching is an accepted defense for toxic food habits when frugality so rarely rules other consumer domains. The majority of Americans buy bottled drinking water, for example, even though water runs from the faucets at home for a fraction of the cost and government quality standards are stricter for tap water than for bottled. She goes through a whole list of things that (laughs) from things we eat and drink and consume to even things that we wear and how we believe that it's like saving or anything like that. And also Alice Waters goes through this as well. And we are what we eat. She talks about how cheapness is a fast food culture idea, but she breaks down why cheap isn't actually the right thing to perceive. And it's fascinating to go through. But what I also want to talk about here is when we're talking about cost, we can't just take into account the money that we pay. We have to also take into account the idea of our impact on the world now. This is massive. So I will say something. So there, we utilize 
so much oil and gas in what we consume. You may not personally be consuming oil when you're buying your greens from California, but the oil is definitely present in the production of that plant because whether it's the fertilizers, the the soil that came in there, like everything takes some sort of way of transportation to get there, to expand there, whatever you want to say. So then it has to get to you, to the store. And then you went to the store to get it and then you got to get it home. And that doesn't account for the plastic it's in. The plastic is made out of oil, most likely. So now we have all the oil in the packaging. We have all the oil that transferred it. And oil is one of our biggest issues when it comes to climate change. There isn't, but also the farming practices. What is the farming practice that it took into, that it took to grow that food? Was it in a mass monoculture farm that wasn't using regenerative ideas about how to rebuild the soil? How many trees were cleared in order to accommodate that farm to happen? There's, and granted, I know this sounds like a lot, but we have to think about this. Now, when we start looking smaller, which I like because I get less overwhelmed, is I start understanding. I can go down to the farm down the road. It's got a farm stand. It's super cute. They are always providing some of the stuff that is our favorites in our house. And I can go there, spend $25, get all of our veggies for the week and our greens, radishes, cucumbers, all this stuff. And I know how they grew it. I can literally take a tour. They're more or less my neighbors and they care about the water supply and runoff even more than I do. And so I just, I think that makes me feel like, okay, I know that everything's good there. So I'm going to spend, you know, the same amount really that I would pay at a normal grocery store for organic growing vegetables, you know, it is not that much more in the cost on the planet is significantly different. So there's plastic, but I can take it back. I can return it back to them personally and they take it and they can reuse it. They have machines that wash it and sanitize it for reuse. So there's all these options that are right here in front of us. And we want to always be thinking globally and big like that, like I need to be able to access raspberries at all points in the year. Raspberries don't grow in all points of the year. They have to be, you know, grown certain ways to do that. And so who knows where they're coming from, whether it's California, Peru, across the ocean, it doesn't matter. But Barbara also speaks to this. She says, each food item in a typical U.S. meal has traveled an average of 1,500 miles. If every U.S. citizen ate just one meal a week, any meal composed of locally and organically raised meats and produce, we would reduce our country's oil consumption by over 1.1 million barrels of oil every week. That's it. You think about that. Like, I love thinking about numbers like that. It makes it feel so powerful to be an individual to shift one thing. You know, it's like the straw thing, whatever. But this is really an impact. Local eating local has so many greater impacts on our environment. 
And we can talk cost till we're blue in the face. But I think right now, the best thing about the inflation is that local food is very much similar in cost to most organic and even conventional growing foods right now. So because the things that cost the oil, the gas, all of those things are then being, that's something as a consumer, you're eating in the cost that you're paying. And so when you're paying for that jar of tomatoes, you're going to pay a dollar or two more right now, which makes it look even better to grow your own tomatoes or buy them from a local farm at a bumper crop situation. So if there is a time to be eating local and for you to actually see the impact on your wallet, it's right now. And I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to reiterate it in a slightly different way. But when we eat local food, it hasn't traveled as far. So typically when I got to volunteer on a farm a couple of years ago, we literally would pick the food the day before it went to market. We'd harvest, chill it right away so it was ready and great to go with the nutrients. Like that plant got to do its whole life, like exactly fruit point. And then it was, you know, fully ripened, ready to go. We would harvest it and it was going right into the hands of the consumer within 24 to 48 hours. Okay. So when a plant can like fully mature in it with its root system, with its host plant, whatever it may be, you know, a strawberry, a tomato, if it can actually be ripened right where it's supposed to be, the nutrient density is significantly higher. I'm sure there's science on this. I'm sure of it. I'd never really looked it up, but I, I know it is because the flavor is different. The color is different. Everything is better about the plant. It's it's very evident in the flavor, the aesthetics, all of it. But what you get, what happens when you purchase that same plant? We're just going to go with um, tomato. Well, let's go with, so strawberries can't ripen once they're harvested. We'll go with tomatoes, okay? Or even, yeah, we're going to go with tomatoes since we're already there. So when you har- when you're harvesting tomatoes from a- and you're getting them from a local farm, those most likely were either on the vine that morning that you got them or within 24 hours before getting them. At most maybe 48 hours. But since tomatoes can't be refrigerated, they usually harvest them eat- like as soon as they're possibly going to the hands of the consumer. Because if they wait too long, there's lots of things, you know. So, but typically they have ripened to the very last moment on that vine which makes an incredible tomato with high nutrient density and everything. You're getting the best of it, like literally. And then when we go to, you know, a store and we're buying cherry tomatoes. So there's certain cherry tomatoes that we can't actually get at the store. Sun golds, you sometimes see them, but sun golds are not exactly like the ideal shelf stable plant. There's so many tomato varieties we cannot get in a store for a lot of reasons because they can't go through the process of being picked before they're fully ready, before they're fully vine ripened, and then placed into the consumer's hand. That space can be almost two weeks. They're picked way before they're actually ready. 
And so they don't get all those amazing flavors in them. They never taste as good as they are. And I find it hilarious that there are tomatoes that we've been made to believe they cut them at the stem and they give them to us and they tell them like, you know, the vine's still connected. So it, it's not the same. The plant is receiving those nutrients through the root system that it's growing from. And so it's not from that. Once that thing is cut, it's pretty much like it's nothing, you know, um, it's kind of like an umbilical cord. Like once it's cut and removed from the mother and, you know, even if you left it with the child, it doesn't do anything more at that point. You know, it's got like 10 seconds or 20 seconds where it, it still is passing something to the child. But for the most part, like it's not doing much more than that. It's an aesthetics thing that make us believe that we're closer to the harvest point than we actually are. So it's, you're not getting high nutrient density. You're losing out on a lot and paying equal, if not more sometimes for these plants. So what I'm getting at is that when you buy things locally, you're getting more bang for your buck. Your food's going to last longer because it was harvested more recently. And so it's going to have a longer shelf life. It's going to have a higher nutrient density, which means it goes further when you eat it. So our bodies trigger us to say, you know, we're full when we've received the nutrients that we need, right? That's part of it, but it's also like feeling full. But the <laughs> when, we, when we have more nutrient density, we don't need to eat as much. And so we feel fuller faster. So there's all these discussions about, you know, the nutrient density of a local food or homegrown food and conventional or, or even organic food that we've been made to believe is equally as good. They aren't. The, the, it's, yeah, it's just not the same. So I think we got to take that into account when we're thinking about the plants that or the food that we're, we're buying. And when we're talking about, you know, going down to the very scent of the ounce, you know, that we could talk about nutrient density to the, <laughs> to the ounce. And I can tell you the one that came from the local, the farm, farm market or your local garden or your home garden, sorry, your home garden is far more nutrient dense per ounce than the one that came from the the large mass production farm. So even if it had a regenerative model, which is great from like a world impact, a planet impact, the nutrient density may not be, it still won't be equal. It's not possible because it ha of when it has to be picked, when it has to, there's so many things. So, but to close out, I don't want you guys to think that I'm saying that buying from the grocery store is bad. No way. I do it. We all do it. It's how we live in our modern time. What I'm saying is we can't just write off local eating because we think the cost is too high. It isn't. You got to look closer. We got to be willing to examine it. We got to get curious. We have to give it a try. So if you're still on the fence my thing is, or if you know somebody who's on the fence, it's like, has this conversation with you, ask him to just do one thing, just one or one meal a week. Just say, why don't you try buying local food for one meal? Or just say, you know, 
let's look at one food this summer and just see what it comes out costs to, you know, value in terms of what we're getting. It may be fascinating. It may not be. Maybe very close. And at that point, you should be asking, who do I want to give my money to? Do I want to give it to my farm down the road? Who are my neighbors? Or do I want to give it to a mass farm that's a corporation that we don't know how they treat their employees necessarily? So it's up to you, really. But I think the more more challenged we are with these ideas, the better. I'm always willing to be wrong about these things. But from my observation and from my continued research, I don't see how it's wrong. I think it's really right. And I think that the concept of this infinity concept of the world, when we eat local and we zoom in a little closer on where our food comes from versus this more fearsome, fearful feeling of like, does my food have salmonella in it? Does it, um, is this going to be recalled? Does it have glass in it? You know, how were those animals treated? How leaving all these questions and will that food source be there? Can I rely on it? So I think what I want you guys to take away from local eating is to not feel fear, is that this is how we live in a more infinite world, that we do more good. And it's as simple as where we buy our food and we can do so much and be in control and really make an impact. And it doesn't have to cost us a significant, a lot more money, whether we grow it ourselves, whether we buy it from a local farm that we trust and a CSA is a great way to do it. There's so many great options. So if you want to dig in deeper and you haven't listened to the other episodes, I highly suggest doing it. I talk about meal planning. I talk about, you know, you know, feeling like you need to be self-sufficient because of the food shortages and costs and things like that. And then this, and how can, what are great ways to eat local? I give a lot of options. So it, it's a different way of thinking, but I think it's one we need to become comfortable with on some level, whatever's right for you and your family and your life and how busy you are or not. So, and it's a really important thing if you have kids to be able to show them like how to access food this way. So my kids know what it means to go to the farm and, and they love it. They, they enjoy visiting the farms and to see the animals and to see all of the production of it and the power of it. It's incredible. So I think it's an important thing to teach our children and ourselves. So Okay, my friends, that's it. That is the closing of our local eating. And don't forget that if you haven't joined our online community, we are talking about this book further. We are diving into these conversations. We even have conversations specifically about what should I make if I have these things? How do I cook a kohlrabi? What is a kohlrabi? <laughs> we don't just talk about growing food. We also talk about eating it. So if you want to join, it starts at $13 a month. You can pick a plan that's right for you. You can just head to freshexchange.com backslash join. And I hope that I see you there because it's a lot of fun. We have lots of great events and I cook live once a month. So yeah, I choose a vegetable and we go after it. So it's a lot of fun. I hope you guys will join. If not, till then, my friends, I'll see you out there. Selling a little 
or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.